Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 396 of Longbox Heroes. I'm Todd with Joe. How are we doing today, Joe? Todd, outside of the pustule on the back of my neck, <laughs> the lump oh. of flesh in the back of my neck, <laughs> not unlike Elvis's mother, I'm doing pretty good, Todd. Okay. The, the month of May is here. Spring has allegedly sprung. It's yeah, been it was about 80 three today. days since we've had snow. Mm-hmm. So I'd call it a record. That's right. I just turned off the heat, and now I have to turn on the air conditioning. Mm-hmm. Ugh. So how's about you, other than that, ugh? I don't know. I wanted a spring, but it lasted about eight minutes here. But otherwise, I'm good. I'm good. I'll live. So, Todd, we've got a busy show today. Right. And let me tell you, before I start, i got two questions for you, Joe. Oh. What's the opposite of Dark. Light. That's right. And what kind of knot does a hangman use? A noose. That's right. We got light noose today, Joe. (laughs) um, So basically... You're a regular Jack Slater with that one. (laughs) I know. As soon as I did, I'm like, I'm throwing Joe a Jack Slater joke. Um, But we have uh, cons being canceled again and people no-showing a day and, you know, who knows, all this con stuff. And I was at a con over the weekend too, Joe. You were. That's right, the, the Greater Philly Con, but we'll discuss that later. Also, we have uh, Con News. Hopefully, these cons are happening and everybody shows up. That would be nice. Fingers crossed. That's right. Free digital books and sales. Um, what we read last week, which was Killer Be Killed 18, Mighty Thor 706, and uh, Thanos Annual 1. Yes. Right. Um, also, what we're looking forward to this week um, my art attack. We have a mailbag question, which we haven't had one in a long, long time. Because mm-hmm, I and forget to tell you. That's right. And also, at the end of the show, we're going to have full spoiler-filled talk of Krypton, The Flash, and Avengers Infinity War. Oh, boy. I'm containing my excitement, Todd. You are. Yeah. I Barely, I could tell. I could, I could hear you vibrating. <laughs> I'm using the speed force to vibrate through my own face. Oh, making you more handsome. (laughs) Oh, my God. All right, so uh, we had discussed a week or so ago in regards to, it was just actually this past week, where we discussed that startup Kickstarter convention that was going to be in the Baltimore area that ended up getting canceled. Mm -hmm. Well, another convention, this time on the West Coast, ended up getting canceled. The Epic Icon Comic Con. Uh, They were making guest announcements as recently as oh, two weeks ago, <laughs> uh, they were doing like a whole Back to the Future thing where Christopher Lloyd was going to be there, Leah Thompson, uh, uh, what's his face who plays Biff? <laughs> Poor guy. Tom Wilson. <laughs> I couldn't think of it off the top of my head. I knew he it was gets Tom the, something. The guy who plays Biff. Yeah. But anyway. And he plays and Griff, and he plays the, the young version of himself. He's multifaceted, Todd. That's right. And a DeLorean, I heard, was going to be there. And a DeLorean was going to be there. So they ended up having to to cancel the con just a, less than you know less than a week before it happened. And they came out and they said uh, there were a few reasons for the cancellation. Individually, an 
Uh, none were enough to cancel, but all came at once two weeks ago, even though they had been making announcements three weeks ago. I cannot be specific, but we have rescheduled for 2019. Now, they're supposed to be giving refunds and all this other thing. For me, Todd, the biggest problem um, with this convention not happening, while we're talking about all these Back to the Future people, one of the other media guests that were scheduled to be there was going to be Jack O'Halloran. Jack O'Halloran? Jack O'Halloran, you know better, Todd, as Emil Muzz. Oh, Manon! <laughs> oh. If I knew about this sooner, I would have been much more upset. <laughs> That's right. Because if... I would have made plans to go out to the West Coast. <laughs> it's like, oh, another guy wants to ask me about my time in Superman 2. Yeah, 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 Superman 2. All right. You know the scene in Dragnet with the desk drawer? You need <laughs> to explain you... that to me. I need to understand the physics of it. I don't understand the physics of it. It was happening to you. You should understand the physics. <sighs> what was your motivation for the scene? Oh, he tells you to actually slam things in a drawer because oh. I'm a method actor. I have a candy bar and a stick of gum. Let's talk. <laughs> Badge kisser. Oh, you have to listen to the uh, After Dark from last month where we talk at length about the comedic classic, Dragnet. But yeah, just another convention, another high-profile convention getting canceled at very short notice. Right, and, you know, I can't see anybody, like, you know, when they go next year to buy any tickets. Like, would you do one that just never happened again? I mean, we discussed this last time, but... Right. It's like, oh, we're going we're gonna to try again next year. Well, I'm not going. I don't know. You get one shot. That's all I can say. Well, you apparently get a couple shots. Oh, hey, man, nice shot. Because let's get into the other convention story that happened this past weekend. So Todd is going to tell us his tales of going to the great Philadelphia Comic Con. And I would be willing to guess that his experience there was better than that of legendary comic book creator... An all-around non... What word can I say? Mm. Uh, the less I say, the better. Jim exactly. Steranko. Mm -hmm. So Jim Steranko is on Twitter, and he's got quite the interesting Twitter. Oh, uh, he does. In the first place. So he's tweeting out all this stuff that he's going to be there. Uh, he's going <laughs> to... He's going to autograph books before his fingers catch fire, and then he'll have to sign in charcoal. <laughs> Oh, he's the magic man. Right. And then I guess there was some miscommunication because the website said that he was going to be there Saturday and Sunday. He was under the impression he was going to be there Friday and Saturday. So there was a mistake there. Um, then they... he decided to take the organizer of the convention to blast on social media, uh, saying that a few years ago he did this con and he got stiffed $1,500. Uh, the guy ended up paying him $300 later. Um, he ended up paying the balance of what was owed, so he did make good, and half of his fee, and then I guess canceled his Sunday, but I guess there was just some miscommunication there, but Jim Steranko was like going nuts on Twitter about it. Which is the only way Jim Steranko can do it. Now, I will say, just, uh, and Todd, I know you're going to be surprised by this. I hope you're s sitting down, because I do know that you do the podcast either standing up 
or in one of those gravity bar things where you're hanging upside down from a door frame. Yeah, like uh, like in Batman. Yes. Right. So the paying his fee up half the fee up front. Uh, and the other thing that Jim Steranko does, I guess this weekend he's going to be appearing at some comic shop in Cleveland, uh, but Friday night is dinner with Steranko, those lucky enough to hold tickets, eat, drink, and socialize for three hours, but all tickets are sold out. Both of those instances have parallels in the current world of professional wrestling. Oh, boy. I know one of our friends who would like to go hang out with, uh, Jim Steranko for three hours. Really? Yeah, uh... Uh, British person we know. Well, is it is it Doctor Who? He's a British person. <laughs> yes, he is. He is totally British. So, but not him. Right, and he so is your friend. The organizer of the convention did come out, and it was a very vague thing that they put out. Um, that just said, despite their best intentions, uh, changes and decisions were uh, must be made quickly. We were under the impression that there was mutually agreed upon dates. Um, we were saddened and distressed by Mr. Steranko's decision not to, not only to bring this public, but also to make an unfounded personal attack against me. We would not want to discuss private arrangements with him or any of our guests. Um, we feel as though that would be a violation of their trust in our professionalism. So we will not be responding to this any further in a public forum. Um, so, yeah, messy situation, Todd. And this is why I say, um, you know, y you get fooled once, but here Jim Steranko allegedly got stiffed by this guy a few years ago, and mm -hmm. three years later he made good on it and paid him half for this one, and then apparently just got stiffed again. Well, I guess so, but uh, Jim was looking good at the, the con on Saturday. Oh, you saw him? Yeah, oh, yeah, that was the day he was there. Uh, he was there on Saturday, and he was selling his wares. I don't know if I saw him now that I think about it. I know there was so the table wasn't empty Saturday, and there was constantly people around it. So you know what? No, I don't know. I don't remember if I saw Jim, but uh, you know he he makes bank when he is somewhere. So hopefully, you know, it all worked out well that he made some money and then uh, disappeared into the night like uh, Mister Miracle, who was based on him anyway. <laughs> You know that story, right? No. Did you know that you didn't know that Mr. Miracle is based on Jim Steranko? Well, I know who Funky Flashman is based on. I didn't know Steranko was uh, Mr. Miracle. Yes, Jim Steranko was an escape artist when he was younger. No. Look it up, Joe. Get your your fingers to type it. Jim Steranko was actually a magician slash escape artist for years. For a while. I don't know how long. So uh, when Kirby made Mr. Miracle, it's a well-known fact that Mr. Miracle is based off of Jim Steranko. Did you find it? I'm looking. Oh, he's from Reading, Pennsylvania. I didn't know that. Yes. Oh. Says illustrator and musician, early art career, jazz, mm -hmm. philanthropy. He is a philanthropist. Now, this is Wikipedia, so it's limited of the information. Right. Okay, so it just says here, it just briefly just says Jack Kirby, who based some of his characters on people in life in the news, was inspired to create Mr. Miracle, 
by an earlier career of Jim Steranko, but it doesn't go into much more information about that. I find that just as fascinating as anything else. Mm-hmm. So there you go. You learned a little bit of something today, Joe. He was a he was he was also a petty thief, a boxer, a fire eater, worked at a side a side Joe. Mm-hmm. Bet you wrestled for a little bit too. With all those uh, with all those jobs that he had, he was a gymnast. He is Mister Miracle. Yeah, I tell you, I know he's you know he's met some female furies in his time. I think he's made a few more. Anyway, that's anyway. <laughs> Jim Stranko, so. interesting guy, interesting fella. Mm-hmm. He's someone I'd love to. Uh, I don't know. He'd be he'd be interesting. He'd be an interesting guy to talk to. Joe, there is no – everybody who's in the sound of my voice right now, if you get a chance at a con to meet Steranko, go meet this man. I met him twice. I mean, I've seen him on a bunch of shows, but stood at his table twice. And there is nobody better at ha- – he is a barker, a ringmaster – a uh, just a carnival guy. He knows how to do an audience. Like just just talk. He has the he he'll always have like four lengths of tables, and he'll walk up and down the lengths of the table talking to like you, and then like for a few for a few words, and then you, and just the crowd will gather, and then he'll be like, all right. And when when he shakes your hand, he just holds onto your hand with both hands, and he t- it's 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 creepy slash amazing. All at the same time, and he just has like the craziest stories, and he's always in the turtleneck looking good. He's like sixties hip guy. Oh my god, it's the best! You have to go meet him. Now, as much as I would like to meet him, I think it's still I, the one person I would like to meet and have that con- long conversation with is still Vince McMahon. Oh, and you're Stranko and you're, uh, just bolted up to number two. Oh, I'm telling you, man. But uh, you, just so you know, your impression of uh, Vince McMahon is becoming legendary at the comic shop. Oh, it is? Like, people are looking, certain people are <laughs> looking for interviews with, with Vince to see and see how the voice compares to yours now. That's all I'm going to say. I wish well, I could do a Starenko. Yeah, and again, in my mind, Starenko sounds just like Stan Lee. He's different. He's different. He's much smoother. Stan is more like, you know, Excelsior and like over the top and everything. Where like I would say like Steranko is like there's not enough O's in smooth for Steranko. Well, I do dip into a little bit of the Vince voice on the uh, on After, After Dark. Dark this week, so go check that out. Mm-hmm. And now just real quick, we're gonna, this is gonna be the last time that we mention it. Right. Um, it has come through, Todd. Unless there's an automatic recount, just because the polls are so close. Mm-hmm. Now I thought this was for the. This is just for the Republican nominee. Your Republican nominee for mayor of Knox County is Glenn Jacobs. Oh my good, now it's hard Knox County. <laughs> <laughs> with a with, winning by 17 votes. <laughs> oh boy. 
which they can do a recount. The polls have closed. All 89 precincts have voted, uh, so on and so forth. However, this is just step one toward him actually becoming mayor. He's the re- he's the Republican nominee as it stands. You never know. He might lose running, but I hope he wins. I hope he wins, too. I just had to get that out there, so we're done. I promised on After Dark I would do updates, and here we are. Uh, but, Todd, you were at the Greater Philadelphia Comic Convention and this past weekend with our good friend Josh, and I hope your experience was much better than that of Jim Steranko's. Um, I had a blast. I, I had a short stay at the con. Um, I had two per- people I wanted to get uh, sketches off of. One I'll discuss later in the Art Attack. Um, and I got them both. So I was very happy uh, early in the day. So uh, just to say, we got there at about 9.30, 20 to 10, which is when the doors opened. Um, they were wonderful with moving the uh, lines along. Before the doors opened, they had people walking along with the, 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 Q, the Q scanner or whatever it is. Right, the QR code gimmick. The QR code scanner. And they were walking down. They're like, if you have, if you had bought, if you have, you know, you, you bought tickets already, just stand in this line. If you, ha- if you haven't, go over in that line. So we had our tickets and they just walked down. They're like, what do you have? All right. You're a Saturday. Here's your wristband. You're a, uh, whatever full weekend. Here's your lanyard. Here's that. Like, and they just had it down before the doors opened. When the doors opened, they had the whole, pretty much the whole line scanned. So we were able to just walk walk in um other than checking your bags with a big wooden tongue depressor um which was fine because i keep my you know i keep my dangerous space weapons at home so i didn't have anything in the bag other than my sketchbook some money right, you gotta be careful somebody might have a bear trap in their bag <laughs> exactly so they do they had these big like pointers and they're like open your bag sir and i'm like okay and they like they put the stick in and they like so uh, like spread the bag open so they could see and i'm like well i have like nine pockets on this with zippers so like i could have anything in here but i guess all right so but that was that was basically really quick and then once we were in we're able to go in and out of the con easily like if you bought some you were able to take it back to the car though by like 11 o'clock the parking lot was completely full and it was one of those where people are driving around like are are you leaving no, it's eleven o'clock. I'm 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 just throwing stuff in the in the trunk, and oh we're we're goodness. going back, right? Like literally, that happened a couple of times as we went in and out of the con. People would follow you slowly as you were walking to your car, and Josh just turns around. He's like, "We're not leaving," so like, don't even try. And then um, we were done at two o'clock from ten to two. It was a smaller show, so I didn't need to stay another you know three hours just to do nothing. I got my sketches. Josh got what he wanted. And we were done. And when we did, there was like the three-way attack for the for the spot. There's like a car on one side, a car on the other, and one coming the third way. And I'm like, Josh, just back out whatever way you want. Like, I don't care who gets the spot. So they were all fighting over that. Uh, but it was fun. Uh, wandered around. Uh, we met. I didn't get to talk to Charlotte's grandfather. He was there. <laughs> um, I did not get a uh, night court picture signed by Brett Spiner because he was charging, I think it was $40 a signature, $50 Ooh. a signature. So I was like, nah, no, no Bob Wheeler photo for me. <laughs> I'm good. Um, but what was, what was interesting is what Josh went there for was to see, uh, I forget what the other gentleman, his name is, but one of them was Carol Spinney. Do you know who that is? 
Uh, yeah, Carol Spinney is a uh, Big Bird. Yes, Big Bird was there, and he was going to see the guy who played Kermit after uh, Jim Henson passed away. So he was there, and he was like, he got some stuff on it. And I found something very, because Carol Spinney does sketches on these, like, I don't know what they are. He's done different sketches and paintings or whatever. So they were saying, like, this is the last of whatever he's done. He's retiring from cons at the end of this year, and uh, that's the end of it. So whatever he has, you, you got to pick up. And they were charging, like, $250 for, like, this little Big Bird sketch. And so that's to set something up as we're talking later. So we're waiting in line. I'm waiting in line with Josh just talking because he's like, can you take the picture for me? They charge for a picture and charge for a signature. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll come with you in case somebody doesn't, you know, take the picture for you. And it was interesting. I just want to describe uh, Carol Spinney's left hand. It's uh, He has some sort of something going on. I forget what the guy said the disease was, but it's almost like his fingers – are touching his wrist because his arm is really like bent. Okay. His, fi- his finger. So that's there. And this comes into play as we're waiting in line. Me and Josh are just talking. His handler, who can't be more than 22 years old. I don't know if he's a family member or what, because Carol Spenny is there with his uh, wife and they're sitting at the table and he comes out. Now, Carol is like 80 some years old. And as I saw him talking to people, he's slow, but not like, you know, like disoriented or anything. He's just talking and like waving to kids. He looked, he looked happy. And the guy comes out and he goes, I just want to say that thank you for everybody for being so patient to meet, to meet Carol. He, he, he'll get to you all. Just thank you so much. You're great fans. And I just want to say that Carol's hand is, this is what's wrong with it. It's, you know, he's got this so and so disease where the, I don't know, the tendons. He explained it. I don't remember it. And he's like, I just want to say he's not in any pain. And he's very, at 80 some years old, he's very happy to be here. He wants to be here. Wow. Right? And Josh is like, Josh, me and Josh are talking. I'm like, and he did the whole spiel. And I'm like, do you understand what that was? And Josh goes, yeah, I figured like, so like nobody will ask him. He's, his hand hurts. He's not going to sketch. I'm like, no, no, that's the, this isn't Stan Lee's speech. And he's like, I never thought of it that way. I'm like, yeah, he's telling us. And Carol was very nice. Like I said, he was slow and he'd ask you what you wanted signed and, the, uh, you would say, and then the guy would like lean in and remind him what to sign kind mm-hmm. of a deal. Like, you know, not that he was disoriented, but it was like, what was that? Josh, Josh and the guy and the, 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 his handler would say like J O S H. And he's like, well, I can't talk to him because if I talk to him while he's signing, he'll take a tendency to sign what, what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. So he goes, so we have to be careful that we're not. And I'm like, and, and no way did I feel that there was any elder abuse, but it was just talking to an elderly man. He looked joyous, playing with kids and everything, but I just found it, you know what I mean? Like jarring as the speech went on and I re- like the bell rung. It was like gong. I'm like, I know what's happening here. But like they said, this is the last of his, uh, his, uh, contour. He's probably going to hang it up at the end of this year, whatever he does. Well, I don't think he was, I I would assume he probably wasn't doing like the huge convention circuit, like a lot of folks. Right. Well, Um, we'll see. But still, um, obviously Stan Lee in that instance that happened a couple weeks ago, obviously, you know, we kind of touched a little bit of an, of an, uh, about it on an episode of after dark, but it was a big news story, of course. And it was kind of a Mm. tough subject to talk about, but yeah, obviously as these, 
older creators are still out there. You know, you, you're lucky to see someone like a Starenko, who we mentioned before, who is still kind of spry and still kind of has all of his faculties and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't have a handler. Maybe he should. I don't know. Uh, for other, he does have a handler. Oh, he does. When I met him, and still that yeah. happens, huh? Yep, that's yes. When I met him, um, to go back to Stranko, Stranko has somebody at the table. When you're doing your stuff, Stranko does not handle any of the sales. He does not tell you what the prices is. He does not uh, give you the item. It's a guy. There's a guy standing there, and it's like, what do you want? This is what our prices are. You want a signature? That's this much. You want this? You want that? It's this. And then when you get, then like once you have like negotiated all that, if there's a signature involved, the handler slides it in front of Sorenko, signs it, and then give like hands it to you. Sorenko's busy drawing the crowd in, talking to people. At no point does he do any of the the menial tasks. Right, and I was going to say, I, I've said this before on the show, and this is somebody else's line, but there's nothing more depressing than seeing your idol have to make change for a 20. <laughs> yep. Yep. So uh, outside so- of that Carol Spinney uh, thing, no other problems at the convention, no interesting stories, no cosplayers causing a ruckus? No, no cosplayers causing a ruckus. Uh Nobody bothered me or enraged me or anything. It was a fun little show that I wandered around. They didn't have anything that I really wanted in, like, toys or books. I really wasn't looking for any of that at this show. But uh, everybody seemed to be having a good time, and I didn't see any problems while I was there. And I would hit this con again, especially if there was somebody I was after a uh, sketch for, because it just seemed like it not like a New York or a Baltimore or a San Diego where if you got through the door at least early, you you would get on somebody's list. You right. know what I mean? Like, it's not a free-for-all, like some of the big, big shows. And we'll get a little bit more into, as you mentioned, your art attack um, from some of the stuff that you had picked up at the convention. Right. Uh, so it is a light week for conventions this week. Um, you know, there's a couple. There's one in Middletown, New Jersey. There's one in Long Island. There's one out in Arizona. But they're not big ones with huge name guests, only because this weekend is free comic book day. Uh, the granddaddy of them all. What are we at? 19 years? Uh, 17 years? I don't even know. A free comic it's, book day? I know it, it started the weekend the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie came out. Right, and it's this is the first year there's no comic book movie being released the same weekend. Right, because they moved uh, Infinity War off it. Right, they moved it back. And I know a lot of uh, creators are doing stuff at, like, whatever the local, you know, their local comic shop is. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure whoever your favorite creator is or whatever your local comic book shop is, you could find out who or what or where is appearing at, you know, wherever. Uh, And even if there is no one there, go check out your local comic book shop. And, you know, we'll keep the link to the free comic book day, so you can see what the sort of freebies are, but it'll have the link to find out if there is a store in your area, even if you've never ventured out, even if you're a digital person, or a mail order person, or whatever it is. Free comic book day is a great day to go out, get some free comic books, but also get some deals, because typically any any shop worth their salt is going to have something going on. Right, have some sort of sale, discount, something. Right. I know I'll be, attend- I'll be heading to the shop uh, this weekend for free comic book day. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about that. Leaving my house on a weekend. Ugh. While How the did sun that is out. Oh, boy. Feels good on your baboon heart. Ugh. 
Um, but also I want to mention this weekend, uh, kind of, you know, we're going to get into the plugs, of course, soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com. But I would say kind of like a sister podcast of ours, because Jason Kirk typically will appear on the network of shows on the Transmission Podcast. They do a whole bunch of different aspects of the world of Transformers, everything from the collector side of the toys to the cartoons to the comic books and everything else kind of in between past, present, and future. But coming out this weekend, the guys over at Transmission are going to be doing a special podcast where they're going to be interviewing uh, Alex Milne and John Barber. John Barber, who had been doing a lot of the Transformer comics over at IDW, and I think he just recently got promoted to editor-in-chief over at IDW. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are going to be on talking about the new Transformers book that is coming out on Free Comic Book Day, which is Unicron Number Zero, which is kind of like the relaunch of the whole comic book Transformers universe. It's a fresh coat of paint, the Transformers. <laughs> or, as another podcast would say, a fresh paint of coat. Oh. <laughs> Listen, when you do 16 nine-hour podcasts in a week, sometimes you forget how words work. Oh, and you'd know how words work. Stop. Stop it. <laughs> okay. Don't want to get in trouble now. But no, mm-hmm. uh, Todd and I don't do a lot of the Transformer comic books just because, you know, we're not as transformer as uh, some other folks. But if you are a Transformers person, if you've ever checked out the Transmission stuff, uh, the episode is going to drop this Saturday for them. And uh, if you've always been curious about what's going on over on the Transformer side of things... Like I said, this is a zero issue. It's the relaunch of the whole universe, pretty much. So go check that out. Yes, do yourself a favor. Right, and of course, all the other shows, soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com, this show, After Dark, Longbox Heroes, Podvocacy, Everlasting Minute, Profane Arguments, Puzzle Warriors 3, and anytime any of the other shows in the network decide to put out a show, shows up on the site, so you can just follow that. It's a one-stop shop for all of our little friends, all of our like-minded individuals, that do podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, of course, over in the show notes is the digital sales and freebies. No new freebies uh, in the last week. Uh, everything is still kind of stagnant there, but there is a ton of sales uh, going on. Some of the sales left over from last week uh, is the Valiant Spotlight sale is going on. A different image sale than what was going on previously. This one is just called Image Hits, where it's a lot of the big name, big seller image books. Uh, are all on sale. Uh, you know, of course, your sagas, your chews, uh, your fatals, your stuff like that. But uh, I recommend to you uh, a, sh- a book that we talked about quite often on the show here, which is Rock Candy Mountain. I love that book. And you can get the entire run of that book for like, you know, it's a buck an issue. Uh, it was an eight-issue series, eight bucks, absolutely worth checking out. It was one of the best books that we read in 2017. Uh, you know, tons of Marvel stuff, whether it be Avengers stuff, whether it be Infinity stuff, whether it be Jason Aaron stuff, whether it be Thor stuff, and DC is having a sale on Green Lantern stuff. Uh, a big, long laundry list of Green Lantern stuff, and you can't go wrong with the Sinestro Core War. Almost the perfect crossover. Right. Um, they got it all there in single issues, and I'll, I'll say this just at a quick, at a glance... Uh, they do have the Blue Beetle issue in there as single issues. Oh boy, see, now they're, they're, they're starting to listen to you on the show, I think. Right, but the, the most important thing to point out is you can get the entire trade 
um, which is of Sinestro Core War for five bucks. Mm-hmm. And that's a great deal. That's like six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's like 13 comics for five bucks. And it was one of the best Green Lantern stories, I would say, ever. It's up there. Yep, but all of that's going to be in the links in the show notes. Um, let's get into what we read from this past week, Todd. Yes. Would you like me to start because you've babbled so long? Yes. Oh, goody. I'm starting to figure this show out by mm-hmm. now. Um, I'm going to start with the book I was looking forward to most, which was The Mighty Thor 706, which was the epilogue to the Jane Foster run of uh, Mighty Thor. Uh, I really enjoyed this book. It's about, uh, you know, Jane entering Valhalla and people trying to, you know, save her because, you know, she was the greatest Thor handling the, the, the hammer the way she did and what people were going through. Um, even Odin kind of comes around on her. Um, it was an interesting story, but I think Jane's story after this story's over, I don't feel that Jane's story's over quite yet. Mm-hmm. Even though we've gotten the, uh, I, I, I do feel we've probably gotten the final Mighty Thor, uh, story, but Jane's story is, is, is by far not over. And I think Jason has something up his sleeve with that because I don't feel that this book or her run ended the way it was. Uh, described by, you know, in snippets by retired Thor in the future, King Thor. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I think. Um, I, I, I really liked it, but I'm not sure what Jason Aaron was doing here, like with, with what the groundwork that he'd laid down. But we're getting to, we're, we're going to see now that, uh, Odin's son, uh, is going to try and take up the mantle again and what he has to do to become worthy. Cause there's a bit where he finds out that there's a little piece of the hammer left that, you know, he's having trouble lifting, but he still can. So I, I kind of want to see where all that goes, but I, I feel like there's more here that this isn't the, the end. And I was wrong about my theory of what was going to happen about Jane Foster. So that made me sad. Right, I did like uh, our theories that we had, and obviously the theories did not come through. And I can understand some people, I don't want to say being upset. And I don't I'm not upset. I don't want to feel cheated or whatever verbiage you want to use. Mm-hmm. But the story was the storyline was called The Death of Mighty Thor. Right. And Jane Foster is no longer Thor, so that iteration, for the most part, is dead. That female mm-hmm. Thor that we have seen and has been at the forefront of all of these books for nearly five years technically is dead to the rest of the Marvel Universe. Very I agree. few people knew that that was Jane Foster. You know, they just know that that person is dead. I think a lot of people were assuming that if she is dying, that version of Thor, then Jane Foster is dying. And mm-hmm. obviously they've kind of put things back to where they were at the beginning of the storyline. Or at least they have, like, a few more pieces left, which is obviously getting uh, Odin's on his arm and his hammer back, pun intended. Mm-hmm. Arm and hammer. Um, but I do, like I said, I do think, because I think this is the end of Act 2 of Jason Aaron's run. There you go. And and, and the, I still think something's going on with, uh, with Jane Foster for Act 3 by the time it's all over. And I don't know if you know this, but I kind of trust Jason Aaron as a writer. Right. So I'm going to see where it goes. I'm not saying I was upset or I was misled 
I just was like, oh, okay, this feels like an act two, if that makes any sense. It didn't it didn't have the finality that I guess it was being purported as. Yes. But in no way did I feel I was flim flammed. Right. Still a really good series, and obviously if you didn't like this Ron, great. There's one more bridging issue as a one-shot, and then the new number one, written by Jason Aaron, with Odinson back as Thor, comes out in July. So, enjoy. Mm -hmm. Right. My book, Todd, uh, was Killer Be Killed number 18. So, a bit bit of a bittersweet uh, explanation uh, as we discuss this issue, where uh, Dylan is still locked up, on the outside, there's a copycat um, doing the red mask killer stuff who gets caught and killed by the police. And we find out who it is. And obviously the police are very happy with that resolution. But the detective, the original detective who was originally on the case, is not. So mm-hmm. she continues digging. She doesn't think this was the original one. She's right. And we get to see her find those pieces to put together. Right. I've loved every issue of this series, and it was reminded to me with this issue, and by someone else, now I've discussed before, and this is a a very good uh, opportunity for, for me to bring up, I hate the new format that they've done with previews, Todd. I know you do. I... I took two previews home under protest. Now I have to take home four. Why do you don't have to take home four? I don't have to take home four, but I got four. You've got the separate image, the separate DC, the separate Marvel, and then the actual previews book itself, all the stuff's order is all mixed around now, and then the back half is flipped over. Which is the way it was originally. Right. Didn't like it then, don't I'm like not, it being back. I'm just saying, it wasn't like this. I'm just saying, you know, for full disclosure, it, I, I remember when it was that way for the longest time. I do. Didn't like it then. Mm-hmm. But typically with a book like Killer Be Killed or like Saga or anything else like that, I don't read the, solicita- the solicitation text. I don't re- read much else about, is it coming out this month? What date is it coming out? Put it in the form and quadruplicate and we're done. <laughs> Right. Or just wing it and maybe pick it up on the day before. Well, Todd, it turns out there's only two issues left. This is a finite series that ends at issue 20. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are you serious? And I'm not even joking. I'm serious. I did not know this ends in two issues. If you, not the previews that just came out this past week, but the one that came out last month, it says Killer B, it, somebody, somebody sent it to me. And I didn't believe them at first, and they sent me the screen cap, and I thought they were playing a cruel trick on me, so I went and I grabbed my previews, and there it is. Issue 20, right next to the price, it says, final issue. Oh my goodness. Todd! You know, I gotta give Brubaker credit. He probably never announced it until then, and now people can't drop the book because it's gonna end. You know, those secret, those people will cancel their subscription to it. So, and, what was the last book? Fatal? No, not Fatal. Uh, it was the the murder mystery in Hollywood. What was the name of that one? It was Fatal. No, Fatal was the the woman who who would the whole uh, like uh, Cthulhu story. There was oh, the guy. Um, there was the writer Fade in Hollywood. Fade out. 
fade out with like he seems to be doing shorter like stories. Remember when it was always like I have you know like X amount of issues and that seemed to be like his plan. As one was ending, he would start another one. Now it doesn't seem like there's any rhyme or reason to the number that he does. So I, it's shocking like to end on a twenty. Um, the only thing I can think of is the uh, the trades will be five issues each, which that's what they might have been all along. I'm not sure, but uh, I don't know. You know. I have, I guarantee you, is there a new, uh, Brubaker issue in the new previews of a story nope. or something? Oh my god, I don't like this. No, I don't I like it either, Todd. I can't, I can't have a Brubaker list. Maybe he's going back to Velvet. He needs to finish that. Mm hmm. We're coming up on about two years since the last issue of that. How do you know that? I think we've discussed it on the show before. I know, I know. Uh, but yeah, this is a great book, and you know, obviously it's coming to an end, so now is not the opportune time to jump on, but as Todd mentioned, uh, it'll have the four trades at five issues each. I'm sure they'll do a nice fancy hardcover collecting the whole thing, if that's more your speed, but I can't recommend this book enough. It's great. It's one of Brubaker's best books that he's ever done, and everything that he does is minimally a nine. And most likely it'll be, uh, they'll probably have a big free or a big digital sale when it's all said and done. Right. So, last but not least, Todd, you mentioned you want to talk about the Thanos Annual Number One. Yes. Uh, with a boatload of writers in there, uh, most notably, of course, Donnie Cates, uh, Katie Cook, Ryan North, Christopher Hastings, and uh, a ton of ton of artists as well. So, mm. go ahead, you take point on this one. Okay, basically, this is like a little Thor, or Thor, Thanos anthology book. It's a uh, cosmic ghostwriter, uh, you know, close to, you know, after he's been killed in the main run, um, thinking about the stories that he remembered when he was giving Thanos the, 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 the stare that makes you relive all the horrible things that you did. Thanos actually really loved. So that's why he kept him around. He's like, you know, I'm remembering all the, the horrible, horrible things that he did. And these are, you know, those stories. And I really like this book, not so much for the cosmic ghostwriter part of it, but for the, the tales of Thanos being just a total jerk, even when they're over the top goofy. Um, I could, I want a Thanos annual every year of just people like thinking up the worst thing Thanos does to other creatures in the universe. And I really like even the story as goofy as it is, as Thanos just goes to somebody on their birthday every year and wreaks havoc upon that day and then just disappears for the rest of the year. I'm like, that's an interesting story. Um, the story about how Thanos helped an old lady across the street, which sounds like a terribly dumb story. Um, when you see what his, what the long game is in that plan, it's a very cruel plan. The best thing about this is how cruel the, the stories are in this. And like I said, I would like to see if they ever do another Thanos book, um, uh, a run or whatever, do the annual like this and have, if you wanted to use the Cosmic Ghostwriter or not, whatever, just tell little short stories and I would buy it every time, Joe. So, I liked the jokey stuff in theory, mm -hmm. but I felt it was the tone of the annual, again, the, the anthology, the collection of stories and so forth. Um, I liked the guy that he messed with every year on his birthday. Mm -hmm. I liked 
Uh, as you mentioned, the one with him helping the old lady cross the street. I like the Donny Cates one, too. And I like the Donny Cates one, too. Mm-hmm. But I think to put so much of the humor stuff in one book, mm-hmm. I think it could have been spread out. Like, sit on one of the, Like, they're kind of evergreen stories. They don't need to be told today. I got what you're saying. Right. Um, but you, but I you, feel... You could have done, like, do a little bit more of a horror thing. Do a little bit more of a sci-fi one. Do your comedy one. And then do, like, a big superhero battle one. So, like, here's every flavor of Thanos that there is. I agree, but even the one I felt the one was very in the in the in the vein of like a Scotty Young story, mm-hmm. and I get what that is, and I'm like okay with it. Even though that wasn't my favorite, and I didn't like like love that story, I'm like okay. There, he, to me, there's room for all of it, and where I got my three amazing stories, the rest I'm like okay, we're really good, and then like maybe one or two I didn't like, but. I, I really, I overall, I get what they were trying to do, and I. That's one of the things that I why I like the Christmas specials, the holiday specials, or any anthology or horror anthologies is because you get short stories, and I, I always said short stories are a lost art because if you can tell a great story in four pages, you can tell a great story in six issues. It's harder to tell a great story in four four pages than it is to to draw out something in six issues. So I, I like the diversity of, of, of some of the stories, but that's just the way I am. Again, it was good. Like I said, it, it's not that it was uneven. I think it just, you know, leaned a little too heavy on the comedy. Right. And I think that was because it was told by the crazy zany cosmic ghostwriter. Right. And I'm excited for the crazy zany cosmic ghostwriter miniseries, which spins out of the end of this issue. Right. Uh, so it was good stuff. And, uh, yeah, uh, now this is the official end of Thanos' book. Right. And I'm sure he won't be showing up anywhere else in the Marvel comic book continuity of things. No, it's, it's over. He's done. They're probably never going to use him again. Right. Now, that's what we read last week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. If you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday around 5.30 Eastern Time or so, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, however it is that you get your books, be forewarned and be forearmed. Look at the list. See what's coming out. Head down to your local comic book shop this Saturday for free comic book day. Pick up your normal stuff. Get a free comic book or two or three. And buy something on sale. Treat yourself, I say. Mm -hmm. Now, the two things that Todd and I do for the calendar year 2018 is the one we always do, which is attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Todd uh, is still behind by one correct guess, but who knows? Maybe he can catch some ground here. We're also doing a dollar amount of how much we've spent throughout the calendar year of 2018. The less said about that, the better. Yes, it is. I think we might stop at some point because oh, it's, it's, it's hurting my feelings. I could scrub it from the internet if you'd like. Mm, but we'll see. Just in case the tax man comes uh, calling. Oh, tax man. Oh, the Beatles will sue us. I think we're okay. Are you sure Ringo and uh, McCartney don't listen to the show? I think one of these days, Todd, my, maybe this episode, as a bed underneath the entire episode, I'm just going to play softly an entire Beatles medley <laughs> and see what happens. <laughs> okay. I don't think you're going to because that's uh, that's extra work for you. You'd be surprised at how little work that would be. 
Okay. Maybe I might do, you know what? 400th episode spectacular. Oh. Whatever you want. You want Beatles, you want Prince, whoever the most litigious artist there is. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say we do the Beatles. You know why, Joe? Why? Because it would be the fabulous 400th episode. Oh. The Fab Four, to get it? See what I did there? It's all just gonna be Ringo songs. Oh, Octopus Garden. Cause, cause he is the best living Beatle. Yes, that's right. We're gonna put this song right on the refrigerator where everyone can see it. <laughs> Stop. Did you ever, what? Stop it. Stop making fun of Ringo. <laughs> that's a family guy skit. He writes a song and they're like, oh, we're so proud. We're gonna put it right here, right on the refrigerator, so we can look at it every day. Right. But anyway. So, uh, Todd, you started the show, so you get to guess what uh, I'm looking forward to. All right. I'm looking over your list, and there's a couple that I could choose from. But, and I know you're not going to tip your hand by saying anything, I think the book you are looking forward to most is Red Sanja and Tarzan number one. No. It's not? No. It's Avengers. It's Avengers, Todd. I know you loved Gail Simone and her Red Sanja. I do love Gail Simone and Red Sanja, but if this was any other week, and it was not after seeing a certain movie this past weekend, mm-hmm. uh, you could say maybe that's what the lump on the back of my head is. I have Avengers literally on the brain. Oh, boy. <laughs> and it's causing pressure. Dun, 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 dun. So I think the book you're most looking forward to coming out this week is also Avengers Numero Uno. It is not. Oh, uh, DC Nation Zero? Yes, it is. I want to see what's going on in there. I think there's a new, there's a Brian Michael Bendis, uh, Jose Garcia Lopez uh, story, which brought him out of retirement for this. Right, he still does like, uh, you know, cons and stuff like that, but published stuff is another story. Yeah, he doesn't do any more like interiors. Right, I guess, um, you know, this is, you know, DC's sampler book, it's 25 cents, um, it's the tease for the next Batman story, it's the tease for Bendis' Superman stuff, and it's the tease for the big Justice League stuff. Right. Um, again, any other week, I don't have Avengers on the brain, I'd be picking that one up, um, you know, maybe right behind Red Sanja and Tarzan. Right. Now, do you remember what order we were supposed to read those in? I know you mentioned it like a couple weeks ago. What order but I was supposed to read? Batman and, and, and uh, the Zero issue. Of oh, DC. no, no, no. It's not. It's when uh, 50 and Catwoman come out. Oh, okay. I thought there was a a, uh, a thing with this, too. Um, I think the story in DC Nation Zero takes place after the booster gold storyline because it's an altered timeline story probably yeah so you know be wary maybe uh shoot tom king a tweet or go look at his tweets and he'll give you a better idea on that Mm -hmm. um but dc's been pretty good about that sort of stuff that they may say like hey wait you know or like continues in batman like i might even peek at it just to see where it says continues in batman x Mm -hmm. so i can say okay it takes place after this issue but i think it's i think the booster gold thing is only one more issue i think it's the one that comes out today so okay so right so there you go i think that's why i am then dc nation zero because if they didn't come out on the same day then i wouldn't have asked you know what i mean okay yes yes 
So no movement on the board there, but while you're checking the board, uh, head o- while you're over at longboxheroes.com, uh, be sure to check out everything that Todd and I have ever done on the internet exists over there, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of After Dark, past pull posts, Todd and Joe have issues, the smash sensation of 2017. Again, everything we've ever done exists over there, and our little store exists over there as well. Uh, if you want to purchase a shirt, a sticker, or one of those nice new enamel pins, you could do so right through our store. I think they're very reasonably priced uh, for the quality craftsmanship and the art that you're getting with those. Um, as of the recording of this show, I think the deal will be over of getting the shirt and the pin together by the recording of next show. I said I was going to do it at the end of April, but I didn't want to like announce it like on May 2nd. Mm-hmm. You get you because we did have a couple orders over the weekend come through, so uh, I'm extending the sale for one more week and then that's it. Then it's back. Everything you know, no, no, no combo pack, if you will. And you can always save on shipping by if you see me or Joe, we'll probably have them on us at some point. Exactly. Uh, now the other thing, of course, would be uh, while you're over at LongboxHeroes.com, if you don't want a shirt, you don't want a pin, you don't want a sticker. You could always click our Amazon banner across the top of the page. Costs you nothing extra. Gives us a little bit of a kickback on the back end of anything that you purchase uh, through our Amazon click-through. And, Todd, it was a comic book movie extravaganza this Ooh, past okay. week. Uh, someone purchased the Batman Gotham by Gaslight and Ga- Batman Ninja Blu-rays. Ooh. Uh, someone also purchased Thor Ragnarok. Spider-Man Homecoming, and Ant-Man, all the digital versions to stream through Amazon, through our click-through. And I'm sure inspired by last week's After Dark, someone purchased Last Action Hero on Blu-ray. Oh, you gotta watch it and then listen to the show. Alright. Doesn't sync up, unfortunately, like uh, Dark Side of the Moon and Wiz of Oz, but I'd say close enough. That is true. Now, Todd, I'm not sure how... uh, deep you are in the world of uh, Blu-rays and things of that nature. I'm not. Other than I know what a steel jacket is. Oh, a steel jacket. If you would guess how much the last action hero Blu-ray is. Hmm. $17.99. That is a steal at three times the price. Exactly. So thanks to everyone who purchased anything through our Amazon click-through this past week, and that special someone who purchased something through our Amazon (laughs) click-through that we had to mention over on After Dark. Yes. Oh, boy, I was sweating on that one. I wasn't, but anyway. So, Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? Yes, we did, from uh, Euronymous, who's always sending such wonderful stuff in. He had a 2014 free comic book day page from Atomic Robot. Or Atomic, Atomic Robo, Robo, yeah, the Brian Clevenger book, sure. Right, I wasn't sure who exactly it was because I've never really read Atomic Robo, but it looked, you know, looked beautiful. Um, as always, Your Honest, keep sending stuff in, and as I see stuff that I want, I'm going to ask you to send it to me. So that's the way I do this. <laughs> that's my way of gathering... Todd's Art Attack is a way of me gathering information from art from the fans that I want them to, to give to me. Because right. I'm that, you know, that kind of guy. Um, and I had an art attack today, Joe, this week. From the Greater Philly Comic Con, I met Chris Cross, 
who was the artist of the Peter David run on, uh, well, for some of it at least, of uh, the Genus Vel Captain Marvel, which is my favorite run of Captain Marvel ever. Um, so I had to get a Genus Vel from him, and uh, I decided to go for the uh, the upper body as the option was, and uh, I think he did a fantastic job. And he even put in the little star fields with a little white uh, marker, paint marker, so you get all the little white spots on his, uh, you know, the, the star field on them. So, which is one of my favorite effects with the character. I agree. Uh, definitely a great effect uh, on the printed page, and I really like the uh, art that he did for you as well. Thank you. Now, I have to ask, uh, when you picked up this work uh, from him, I'm not going to, mm-hmm. um, you know, ask you, of course, what your financial statements are, how much it cost you. Um, but when you purchase it from him, did he make you jump, jump? Oh, I wonder how many times. I was going to ask him how many times a day he gets that joke. Mm-hmm. But uh, I did not jump, jump. But I might as well jump, jump. The crossover oh. between Criss Cross and, and uh, Van Halen. Which I would listen to. But I have one for next week. I have an After Dark for next week. Or an After Dark. A, uh Art Attack. Art Attack next week, which is now in my sketchbook, which is one of my all-time favorite pieces in my sketchbook. So I'm just giving a little tease there. I figure I'll close from the con that I went to with the big one. Right, I was going to say, you didn't tweet the other one out, so saving it. It's good. That's right. I want to do one a week. I don't want to just, you know, got to have content for the show, Joe. Content. Now, you had mentioned, uh, of course, original art, and of course, you had mentioned at the beginning of the show the uh, mailbag. Uh, mm-hmm. Todd, do we have anything in the mailbag this week that has anything to do with art? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, Chad sends this in, and he asked, uh, it's a, a serious question, if I cut the dead space off a sketch to frame it, does that devil- devalue the piece? Um, any idea? I feel like altering it in any way is a crime. Um, I don't feel that it devalues uh, it in any way if you trim some of the artwork, as long as you're not cutting into the art uh, uh, that's drawn or anything like that. And actually, I have a piece that years ago when I got an Adam Hughes piece when he was still doing the big the big full, full body pieces at New York Comic Con, the... Uh, sketch pad that he was using was one of those pads that has the metal ring at the top, if you know what I mean. So when you tore off the page, it it wasn't a perforated clean thing. It had all those little like uh, tabs of paper on the end. Does that make any sense? Yes. And I just hated it because as I was putting it in the top loader to take home, it was, you know, they were getting caught, they were turning. So I gave it to our, you know, a resident uh, show artist, Tom Derenick, because I trusted him um, you know, cause he has, you know, trimmed his own art for, to, to sand or whatever. He knows what he's doing. And he just took it out. He had had the little, uh, razor blade swipe thing and he cut the top off it. And it doesn't really do, do anything to it to me. I can't really see. Um, as long as you're not making it super small, if you have like a, you know, a big piece of paper with a little art on it, uh, I don't see it it hurting it at all as long as you don't mess it up. That's the most important part because you don't want to 
uh, like cut it at an angle or anything like that. You want a nice square piece. And even then, sometimes I have that piece from Bill Sienkiewicz that he did for me of the uh, uh, Clint Eastwood from Unforgiven Head. And the paper is ripped like uncleanly at the bottom and the top. But the, to me, that gives a better effect for the piece that I have on that. Um, so sometimes leaving it uh, like, uh, not perfect, uh, it, it'll enhance your piece. So, but either way, I don't see it affecting the value. Like I said, as long as you don't mess up the, and do something stupid, stupid to it. Right. Now I, I don't have a ton of original art. Um, you know, we've told the story many a times. Uh, one of the first times that Todd was introduced to my wife was when he was, uh, <laughs> dealing with a previous night of inebriation and my wife was in line getting 20-plus dollar sketches from Art Balthazar and Franco of the Tiny Titans sketches, and Todd was there for one, and we had 20 that we were getting, and he just happened to get in line behind her, not realizing that that was my wife. But and it wasn't my, even for me. Right. It was for someone else. You you were doing something nice for someone. Right. And I had the drink sweats. Mm-hmm. Oh, you should have grabbed an apple from the lobby. You would have felt better. How about you? How do you like them apples, Joe? Um, so those, you know, they're on bags and backs, so they just kind of fit in, you know, whatever sort of, you know, eight by ten, five by seven frames that you can get like at an IKEA or something, right? Mm-hmm. Now the the one fancy piece that I have is from the uh, Abnett and Lanning run on Guardians of the Galaxy. With the artist was Wes Craig. Uh, who was a very unique and different art style. It was a two-issue sto- story. I think it was issue either 22 or 23, uh, where Kang was the villain. It was a full-page shot of Kang, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, here it is. It's this book that I love. It's this really cool artist. It's one of my favorite villains. I'm going to get that page. And it was very reasonably priced for the page, and it's actually framed here in my office. Now, a majority of it is covered up, and I don't know what they did to that page to get it fit in the frame. And it doesn't matter to me because I think it just looks nice the way that it is. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, I think it more so depends is, are you getting this art because you want it to keep its value? Do you want it to go up in value? Or do you want it for display purposes? Right. Now, on a page, which is somewhat different... Mm-hmm. Because when he said, I, I don't know, remember what he wrote. I, I took it down off my phone. A sketch. Um, he he wrote a sketch. Now, a page to me is a little bit different because they have the lines in the page for where the art goes, if that makes any sense. And then there's a border around it. Mm-hmm. So did they cut that off your page? That I don't know because there's matting around it that you can't see. I have a feeling they didn't trim it too much to fit in because a lot of times they don't like when you go to a professional framer, they don't trim the thing to fit in it. They make a bit, a slightly bigger frame and then add more matting, if that makes any sense, because mm-hmm. they don't like to uh, without asking you, I would guess. Of um, course. But now, did you get like because you, you hang that on the wall? Do you did did you just buy a frame? Is there anything like did they say anything about like UV rays, like protection or anything like that? No. Like, I was just wondering, because I know, like, depending on where you have, like, you wouldn't want it hanging where the sun hits it all day. You know what I mean? Right. Um, It is across from a window, mm-hmm. but it's a window that, like, has thick, blo- like, thick curtains over it, and it's never open. 
Right, because I never looked into that mm-hmm. about like get like when do you have because I don't have anything framed. I have stuff in portfolios, right, and in my sketchbook. But there is stuff that I, I'm working on and I have that I want to get framed. But I want to look into see so I'm not um, uh, doing the artwork like it fades. That's yeah. the only thing I worry about. So, that covers all of that. Is there anything else I missed before we get into TV and movie talk? No, I think that's everything. Okay, so, we're going to give the warning here for the TV talk, and then we're going to give the warning again for movie talk. So, thank you very much for listening to episode 396 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd and Joe, we'll see you all here next week. Take a second. Let's get into Krypton. Mm Mm-hmm. Krypton where we had our cliffhanger from last week, where the gentleman who is underground, who is working with Black Zero, reveals himself uh, to um, Lyda that he is her son. The General Zod from our timeline come back to the same point in time where Adam Strange, also from our timeline, has come to. Mm Mm-hmm. He is here, of course, to stop Brainiac as well, but more so that he has a key, a some sort of thing that could possibly reveal what the secret weapon is that can possibly stop Doomsday, or Doomsday, listen to me as I spoil it here, Brainiac, and I didn't even think at first that it would be Doomsday, so that was a cool surprise. So there's like your A story, your B story is the continued, I guess, espionage, back-dealing, back-biting, all that sort of stuff. Uh, the political the maneuvering. Yeah, political maneuvering with the Vexes. And then, of course, we get more with that little kid and um, the voice the of vo- Rao. Which was my favorite stuff in the episode. Right, because it's super creepy. Mm-hmm. And prior to him getting infected by Brainiac, there was the whole mystery of, like, oh, he's going to reveal his face, he's going to reveal his face. And there's like two or three times in this where he is about to reveal his face. And you're like, oh man, he's going to show everybody's brainiac. Oh my goodness. So like they kept that mystery there until we get the reveal at the end, of course, where he does take the mask off. He is just a normal guy with like, he looks like a, uh, it looks like a young Tom Savini, but possessed by brainiac. That is a great description, by the way. Right. Um, but I thought this was a really good episode. Uh, I'm not really sure what else to say. Um, I really like the A stuff a bit, but um, I think being in the scene with the guy who plays Adam Strange and the guy who plays General Zod Mm -hmm. really points out how, I don't want to say how bad, but how not on the level of an actor the guy who plays Sag is compared to those two. Right. Um, And the other thing that I really like about this is the dichotomy of how good Zod's plan is as opposed to Adam Strange's. And almost Adam Strange at this point is like this character should have been Booster Gold. Yes. Like messing up the timeline because he comes back and he like when we think about it, he's come back to stop Brainiac, who he thinks is from the future, but he's not from the future. He's the Brainiac who stole Candor. 
This has to happen. And now the story's being told is like, Zeg is like, man, Zod makes a lot of sense. Like this other one, he's like, we, we're going to let him take Kandor and the world's going to be destroyed. And, and you know, there's a card up Zod's sleeve. Yes. I do believe he wants to save Kandor and save his people because there's that great speech where he gives, he's like, why do you hate my grandson? And he's like, some people turn their back on their ethnicity and their heritage. And your son has done that. And you're like, yeah, he has in a way, like from a certain point of view. But like you didn't, you're not telling him that you were gonna wipe out a whole planet. You know what I mean? Like to to bring Krypton to Earth, and and I'm like, it's brilliant because you almost kind of side with Zod because he makes more sense. Yeah. But we know what he is. You know what I mean? And we know what Adam Strange is. But Adam really messed up. It's almost like a villain who has a good plan, who has a good idea, but a really terrible way of going about things. Hmm, maybe we'll talk about that later. Yes, but I really like this uh, this episode. Um, mm-hmm. Krypton has been a nice surprise. Yes, and as it goes on, it gets it gets better written and better. Like the plot gets deeper and and, and heavier mm-hmm. in a good way. So uh, again, obviously, we're not spending a ton of time on these, and you'll you know I think you understand why. Uh, the other one, of course, uh, is Flash from this past week. Um, so we ended the previous week with, uh, DeVoe having all the bus Metis powers. He takes over Ralph. Not all of them. No, he doesn't have a, a hippie warpy guy. No, he does have hippie warpy guy. He doesn't have the, the radioactive guy. Oh, that that's right. That the radioactive guy. Yes. He he's t- technically one of the bus Metis or he act not technically. He is a bus. Right. My apologies. Yeah. I realized that too when I said last week that all the bus metas were dead and in, and I was like, no, wait, they are right. There's one left. So they might save one this season. Highly unlikely. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Barry is not understanding how to deal with his feelings over the loss of Ralph. Um, DeVoe, of course, is now more cold and calculated in regards to his plan. I feel very bad for Merlise, his wife. I do too. Um, she is becoming the sympathetic baby face of this entire show. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a B plot involving uh, Harry Wells feeling as though because of his abuse of his makeshift thinker's cap that he is becoming less and less smart. And since that's the only reason they keep him around, then he'll be no good to the team. Mm-hmm. Just between me and you, I think he could take over. For Iris as the leader of the team, but that's just between me and you. He's a little bit more qualified, in my opinion, at least as an excuse for him not to leave the compound. Mm-hmm. Since he is but the, the way... face of a murderer. Right. <laughs> Which oh. they know. No, go ahead. But I was going to say, I agree with you on the whole being the leader thing. But the whole thing is, it looks like he's going to have his mind completely erased before this is all over, and they have to find a a solution yes while they're trying to beat the thinker like and i think it's going to be a race against time for both Mm -hmm. um and in the end my 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 thing is i really think they're going to save him but he's going to be normal if that you know what i mean he's going to be mid-level intelligence like average and like i said the thing for wells is i think that would be worse than forgetting everything is just being average Mm -hmm. so but the most important thing about this episode is is the return of captain cold 
Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it's Citizen Cold from Earth X. And yes, 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 they interrupt him as he's planning his wedding to the Ray. All of that is fine. It's Wentworth Miller. He's on the show. He's got his cold gun. He's delivering his lines with an aplomb that only he can. Mm-hmm. Chewing the scenery like nobody's business. Like he walked off the 19, uh, 2018's version of the 66 Batman TV show. And I love every episode that he's on. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately with him also comes... Siren X, which is the evil canary person. One of the canaries uh, from Earth X, which I love, actually, because when Cisco and everybody explains how the canaries work <laughs> on the main Earth, yeah. and I know all that is there, it it made me burst out laughing. Where it was like, oh, she was, you know, not the original. That was Sarah, who's on the Legends. But then she died, but she came back. And Dinah took over, and but then Dinah died. And, well, she came back from another. And they're just like, move it along. Like, we don't need to. And I was laughing. I'm like, wow, Dinah's, like, or, like, Black Canary is convoluted. So. Uh, but I did like that they beat, they announced that they beat the Nazis on Earth X. So we don't have to worry about Nazis over there anymore. Right, and obviously there's the whole thing where they decide that they're going to move uh, Fallout, um, the last bus meta, because they feel as though DeVoe is going to try to get him to be that power source thing, Mm -hmm. but in doing so, Siren X stops them. And... DeVoe says, like, this is the way things were supposed to happen. Like, it's still the same end result, but they got to a different... They got there a different way. Mm -hmm. So that's giving him some concern. Right, because he can't... He can see how people think, but feelings are supposed... are becoming alien to him, Joe. Mm -hmm. Because in this, uh, Flash was succumbing to thoughts of that he failed Ralph, and that was, like, you know, making him inactive, and, and that seems to be the way... That, uh, what's the, the, uh, DeVoe's wife's name you said before? Merlees. Merlees is going to get around, uh, the thinker not realizing what she's doing because she's hiding her feelings again better. And he's becoming more and more, you know, cold and not realizing that she's going to turn on him. So I think, you know, she's going to be helpful and, and however, you know, it, this all comes apart. Good episode. Uh, but it definitely felt as though this is the beginning of just a way to fill out a 22-episode order. That's right. We haven't even uh, gotten around to, again to Joe West's uh, fiance with the mind powers, the mind-reading powers. That still has to be resolved. Right. They, she hasn't come up in several episodes. That's so you can forget about her, oh. so she could be the big thing that, you know, it's like, oh my god, I forgot about that. Right, because the, the, the season-ending cliffhanger is going to be the pregnancy, because that's what you always do on a TV show. Right. Yeah. It's going to be twins. It's going to be twins. Oh, boy. And there's a lot of dangling plot threads that are around, like that girl who first appeared at the wedding. Right, who's... Probably excess, as far as I'm concerned. Right. Of course, we have the stuff with Caitlyn trying to re... You know, she's become friendly with Killer Frost, and now Killer Frost is gone. So now Caitlyn wants to bring Killer Frost back. And she's still got some traces of Frost in her, but there's no dark matter in her body. So, of course, there's that. A lot of dark matter stuff going on with this. We've still got, like, five more episodes to go. 
it just feels as though last week's episode felt so much like a penultimate episode. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, here's this episode that feels like it's almost the end. And now you got five more episodes before you get to the actual end. That's right. And if they bring Killer Frost back, Caitlin Snow slash Killer Frost needs to get a post-it note sponsorship. Because they leave, they leave post-it notes for each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be great. I would love to see a DC like Flash Killer Frost post-it note commercial on TV. Maybe she could reach out to Sharpie and see if they could be a sponsor of the show. Oh, that would be great. And you could write on the post-it notes with the Sharpies. Exactly. This is fantastic. So I thought both the shows were good this week. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yes. Did we see anything else? Well, that's the end of TV talk. One more warning. We're going to get into discussion of Infinity War. An Infinity War-ning. Ugh. You do know what the episode title is this week, yes? Is it Infinity War name? No, it's, uh, what was the fake, uh, hashtag that you tweeted at me? Infinity oh. Where? Yes. Yes. That's the, <laughs> uh, episode title this week. Oh, good. I was worried. That was a good one. I had to save that one for, uh, put that one away for safekeeping. In your back pocket. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know how much you want to get into this. You know, this is... There's no way to really do a linear discussion of this movie. Right. Um, I just, you know, it broke all the records. It had, it had the biggest Saturday in history. It had the biggest single weekend opening. Um, you know, single weekend, you're talking like the midnight showing on Thursday is now like two o'clock on Thursdays. Mm -hmm. Um, they just get earlier and earlier. So it's like a four day week weekend. And I think someone else pointed this out that in the four days that the first four days of its opening, Infinity War made more money than Justice League's entire uh, domestic run. Wow. Let's not compare. Right. Let's not compare the big team building movie from one superhero company to the big team building superhero movie of the other company. Uh, one where they try to do it in three movies and another one that did it in 10 years worth of movies. Right, over 16 or 17 movies or whatever whatever it was. Right. Um, and that's the big thing. And I don't, I don't, you know, people who, you know, complain, oh, I had to see all the other Marvel movies. I'm like, that's how a sequel works sometimes. But I do like the fact that this is the, the culmination of all those movies. It is what it is. It hits the ground running, starts out at an eight, and then cranks it up to ten for the rest of the movie. Um, I feel the Russo brothers did a brilliant job in giving everybody something to do or having a moment at least. And I think it, you know, in this, in this movie with dozens of characters, whether or not that's the right number, they, the pacing, the shifting of scenes, like the Russos were the perfect guys for these, this job. And I think they hit a home run with it. They, they crushed it doing that. So So, just, just based on some of the things that you said there, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're talking about 16, 17 movies or whatever it is. And there's so many people, um, I think I saw like a New York Times review. It's like, how can you expect me to be emotionally invested uh, in these characters when you're not introducing me to who these characters are? I get that. And it is a daunting task to be able to take all this, these movies in, to watch a movie, Iron Man, that came out 10 years ago, 
and remember bits and pieces from that movie 10 years later and how they play into what's happening in this. If you've never seen any of these movies before, and I think if you're listening to this show, you've seen one or two or three of these movies, you could really go into this movie sight unseen, and they give you enough to understand what these interactions with these characters are. Do you want a little bit more enrichment in your experience? Watch Civil War and um, Ragnarok, and you're good. If you want a little bit more, maybe throw in Guardians 1 or 2. Mm-hmm. And you got enough information. You've got all you need. And as you mentioned about the Russo brothers, of course, uh, doing this and kind of giving everyone something to do, um, not my original thought, of course, somebody else's original thought were, I think, the best, the strongest part of the movie was that they broke everyone up. Right. Where you get all these characters, you're introduced to them, some of them come together, and then everyone kind of splits off again. So you're mm-hmm. not seeing 20 characters on screen all the time interacting with each other. Well, that's for the second movie, Joe. Well, about half of that. Well, I think it's going to be more than that when okay. something happens. But. Right, right. Um, now, I listened to Podvacacy this past week. Mm-hmm. And Jason and David are comic book guys. But I think they're comic book guys on a different plane than you and I are comic book guys. Right. I think you and I and people of our ilk went into Infinity War knowing there was going to be casualties. Yep. And we even I even knew probably how it was going to happen. Okay. So... It's not so much that there was to be spoilers with this movie, but I did do my best to avoid spoilers as I, you know, was tweeting out and I was sharing with other people all the different hashtags mm-hmm. that I was using to block stuff that I just didn't want to see. And I started it Tuesday night after we recorded the show last week. And it was any time that I saw someone tweet a word or a hashtag, or it was like some people were putting Avenger Infinity Wars. Mm-hmm. No, that's wrong. But there's going to be people using that wrong hashtag, so i got to add that to the list. i got to throw quick... Thanos, i got to throw this, i got to throw that on the list. So I don't see or hear or read or anything about it. I know people are going to die. It's not the, the what, but it's the how. Right. It's the when. It's the where. It's all the other pieces that are going to get us to that point. Now, do you, real quick question. We'll get back to the, do you do you delete all those blocked uh, yes. hashtags now? Okay. As I went into the theater, my tickets were paid. I was in my seat getting ready for the movie to start. I deleted all those hash those hashtags that were muted, and I turned off my phone. Right. Okay. But uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. The only thing, like I said, it. it I think it would have been more emotional if I didn't know. Mm-hmm. But I still, it still packed the punch that it did. Right. And, um, and it was also who's going to, who's going to go. That was the big one. Cause in every scene I was like, uh, oh man, is this, this guy like this one. And then when Thanos does what he does, which is his whole plan is to, you know, uh, wipe out half the universe and he snaps his fingers and they go and they start disappearing. You're watching it with anticipation, which, characters going to disappear what's going to happen who like is it this one is it that one and you're seeing them like stare at each other and you're like oh they're not all going to be standing there in a second and they just crush it and the one the two that kind of hurt the most for a a a reason is falcon Mm -hmm. in a way because falcon disappears and nobody sees it and there's that scene where somebody's walking through the 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 the, the, the wakanda what war machine comes walking through and he's like, Falcon? 
and it's like Falcon's just gone. And like the other people at least had somebody like see it. So yes. you, people don't know what happened to Falcon. You're going to gather that he disappeared like everybody else. But to me, that's sad. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And then the other one that just crushed me was the Spider-Man. Yes. One. Oh, now and I have a bunch of nitpicks at the end of the for the end. But yes, the Spider-Man one was the most devastating one. And do you know? Do you know the last line? What the the the, the importance of his last line is? No. It is because you know how in, earlier in the movie you're gonna like this and hate it all at the same time. You know where like he's like, have you ever seen aliens? Have you ever done this? And Tony Stark says no more pop culture references. Mm-hmm. The the last line that he gives is David Tennant, aka the Purple Man's line, just before the tenth Doctor regenerates into the eleventh Doctor. <laughs> he goes, "I don't want to go," and that's a like famous Doctor Who scene. And I was just like, that's so awesome as a fan that he does one more pop culture, ref- pop culture reference. It's heartbreaking, and it made me sad the first time I saw it, so it makes me even sadder the second time I see it. Now, I, I want to I mention this um, because I have talked to dozens of people about this movie before we recorded the podcast. That's how much of this movie was just brimming out of me. I went to go see it on a Saturday night, and I mm-hmm. almost went to go see it again Sunday. Right. Which n- I never get to do. I haven't gotten a chance to see a movie more than once in the theaters mm-hmm. in at least seven years, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, so, you mentioned the pop culture stuff, and again, it's going to be all kind of all over the place. Um, my friend Rick pointed this out to me. In this movie, or actually, go back to go back to Civil War, um, when they're having the big fight at the hangar, and Spider-Man makes the reference that they're going to bring uh, Ant-Man down... With uh, the reference to Star Wars, Empire mm-hmm. Strikes Back specifically, this movie came out right after the announcement came out that Disney had purchased Lucas. Mm-hmm. In this one, where he makes the Aliens reference, it's the next movie that came out after the Fox purchase. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was coincidental that those were the two things that were in there. They were reshoots, Joe. Well, now there's I'm another thing, and there's there's speculation my friend Julian thinks one way and I think another way. Now, I did my best to avoid trailers and all that sort of jazz, of course, and there's the big battle at the end with Wakanda, and Banner is in the Hulkbuster armor, which I thought that was a really cool twist on things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there were scenes in one of the original trailers and even some of the production stills that went out that shows the battle of Wakanda, but he he's there as the actual Hulk. Which is probably easy to swap in and out with... Uh... The CGI. Now, it's one thing to swap out easy with the CGI. I get you. My friend Julian thinks that this is... They did that on purpose to mess with people, to, like, put false stuff out there to mess with people's expectations. Whereas, I disagree that they may have did reshoots. Where our running joke is, they thought of a better ending while Mm -hmm. shooting, did some quick CGI reshoots shot a couple scenes that they only probably needed Ruffalo for where he's yelling at himself about the Hulk. So it's like, okay, instead of doing our Hulk payoff here at the end of Act 1, we could hold off, make people want it a little bit more, and put it at the end of Act 2. Okay, I have a whole Hulk thing that I actually want to talk about, so this fits in perfect. All right, we're going we're going three hours. We are going three hours. Now, do I, I'm going to go in the camp that they were putting out false stuff. 
um, just to just put stuff out in trailers and blah, blah, blah. Because I believe their story all along was the first half of the two-part Avengers movie, you were not going to get Hulk fighting in the second half of the movie. Um, that they're, that the Russo brothers writing this or whoever wrote it, the whole plot is, my take on it is, do you, do you know why the, the Hulk and Banner are having a tiff over him coming out? No. This is my theory on it, is Hulk is in the beginning of the movie. Thanos is the first person to ever hand the Hulk his butt. Just hands it to him. Just beats him up in a way he's never had it before and then throws him out into space. Luckily, uh, Heimdall sends him to Earth. Hulk is afraid now. And there's that scene where he's like, come on, Hulk. And he's in the army. He's like, no. And it's, it's meant, it's taken as funny, but the way I took it is Hulk is terrified of Thanos and he's like, I'm not coming out. And that's the big thing for Avengers too. So this whole plot was to just be a little bit in the beginning. Granted, you kind of want to see him, but it makes it even bigger for Avengers too when he does show up. You know what I mean? But he's, he's scared as a child right mm-hmm. now. That's my take on it. I like that. Now, I want to say this as well, because you'd mentioned about how everyone gets something to do in this. Mm. Now, one of the little nitpicks about the movie is it seems as though some people got a little bit less to do. Well, that's when you have a 17 cast movie. However, in retrospect, I put things together that obviously some of the people that may have had less to do in this are going to have a lot more to do in the next one, especially if they're the ones that lived. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, and again, nitpick, Black Widow got barely anything really to do in this movie. Right. She's going to be the one in the second movie to be the one to convince the Hulk to come out. Right. The sun's sun's getting high now. You have to come out. Right. was low. Is that a Clint Eastwood thing? No. Remember she was saying uh, when she would come, rub his hand and say the sun's getting low? Oh, yes, yes, yes. And he would pass out. I was wondering if she's going to do the opposite and say, like, the sun's getting high. You have to, you know what I mean? Right, because they have a little moment in the movie, but there's not much more there. And then after Mm. thinking about it, talking about it, I'm like, okay, that's where they're going to pull the trigger. Give her her a little bit more to do, where the folks that have the tons of stuff to do in this one are going to have maybe, you know, uh, less, but not, like, move to the background sort of thing, right? Right. Uh, But where I was going before with the comic book stuff. Um, you and I, I think, whether we've read it today or read it 20 plus years ago when it first came out, pretty much know the beats of the original Infinity Gauntlet very well. Right. And there was so much in that book. Now, granted, some of it was transposed to other characters, but it was like almost scenes, panels from that comic were taken and put up on the silver screen. Yep, like when the Hulk smashes through Doctor Strange's house, that Silver Surfer, and he actually crashes into the steps. That's panel for panel from the book. And when uh, Thanos has the reality stone and he's manipulating the physical being of the Guardians of the Galaxy, Mm -hmm. in the comic, he does that to, like, Moondragon and Star Fox and people like that, but he does it in the exact same way. Right. Whereas on the flip side... I'm pretty sure you didn't read Hickman's Infinity Crossover from a few years back. I did. Oh, you did? Okay, so yes. I did not. So all the things with the uh, the children of Thanos and their designs and their looks and everything, 
were a surprise to me. And then after the fact, I saw that they were big parts of the Infinity crossover. For mm-hmm. me in the movie, they felt very much like a Star Wars part of the movie, like in a good way. Okay. Where they were kind of like the bounty hunters from Empire. Right. And the Ma, who is the one who is using all the torture on Doctor Strange, is probably one of the visually most cool CGI characters I've ever seen. Yes. Like, just the way his face, like, you were like, man, there's, there's nothing about this character that doesn't say evil. And then I just want to also mention on the flip side, of course, you know, they never really hammer the names home in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, of course, they're in the Marvel Puzzle Quest game. And Proxima Midnight, the actor, like the way that they do her design and her makeup, mm-hmm. she looks just like Marilyn Manson. It was a little distracting. Gotcha. Again, gotcha. nitpicks that mean nothing. Okay. It was just dumb things that popped into my head regarding all of this. Um I'm the same way on a visual. Every time I looked at Thanos, I kind of saw Kurt Angle. (laughs) Do you see it now? Well, Kurt turns more of a reddish purple as opposed to the same purple that Thanos is, but Mm -hmm. I get you. Right. And I just want to say my alt, like, because I'm not going to pick scenes out, blah, blah, blah. My favorite scene, and this is the way to show how bad of a character someone is mm-hmm. all of that my favorite moment and it gave me goosebumps is when thanos just goes all of that for one drop of blood and you're like it is true they've thrown everything at him everything and that's all they got and i'm like that is that is getting a heel over you <laughs> okay now see that's great that you mentioned that so um, for weeks before the movie was coming out, Donny Cates, who at the time, the writer of Thanos and all the other stuff, would jokingly be tweeting out, and again, jokingly, not jokingly, saying, like, when's the Thanos movie? Like, I can't, I can't wait to go see the Thanos movie. And they moved the Thanos movie up. He wasn't calling it the Avengers movie, he was calling it the Thanos movie. And you know what? This was the Thanos movie. It was. I actually thought it should have been called Thanos' Quest. Thanos is the, like, I don't want to say that he's the baby face, but he's <laughs> definitely the pro- protagonist of this film Hmm. because he could have been pure evil and he was pure evil but they give him a bunch of like baby face moments in this film where they make thanos sympathetic and it works in the story that this movie is telling when he when he goes to get the soul stone and he has to make that decision to kill gamora and Mm -hmm. he cries goosebumps todd I, I agree, but I don't think they make him sympathetic. I get what you're saying. It's just like, cause I get it. They give it, they give him emotion mm-hmm. and you see that he's legitimately sad for having to kill a woman who he killed his mother and half her planet. And he has, he has a good, he has a good reason for doing what he's doing. He wants to, you know, not see half the universe suffer, but like, just and I and I see people talking about this, and I'm not going to go crazy about the way it is. But I don't know how you can. I don't. I just don't want to say someone who wants to murder half the universe is sympathetic. I just think he. They show that he has emotion. Like I. I get what you're saying, and I was moved by it. But in the end, I'm still like, yeah, you're a monster. Any, you know what I mean? Any good heel mm-hmm. thinks he's the baby face of his own story. That's why Doctor Doom is the greatest villain ever made. Right. Thanos thinks what he is... He's not doing things for evil. 
Mm-hmm. He's he's doing the most evil thing he can, but he's doing it because in his mind it's for the greater good of the entire galaxy. Right, which is different from the comic was he was doing it just to court death. And a nitpick, the Thanos I know and love mm-hmm. does all of the things to impress death. I would have liked for that to be the reason in the movie that he's doing it, but I understand why it's not. Right, I actually thought he was going to be trying to impress Hela. You know what right. I mean? And like again, whatever you know, whatever brush you paint it with, but yes. Hmm. Um, so that was kind of, and I just want to touch on one thing. I was completely shocked to see the Red Skull show up. Yes. Uh, okay, so as shocked as I was to see the Red Skull show up, which is a nice way to kind of end things around to not the first movie, but at least the beginning of the timeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a nice touch. But for me, not having looked at any of the spoilers or anything like that, uh, Peter Dinklage as the last dwarf on the uh, at the forge. Right. I knew Peter. Did you didn't know Peter Dinklage? I had no idea he was in the movie. I avoided so- everything. So I honestly thought he was going to be Pip. Mm-hmm. And obviously he wasn't Pip. Uh, so all of his stuff was really good. Uh, the CGI and him. But So, again, outside of all my little nitpicks, I think at the end of the day, they made the near-perfect comic book movie. Right. They took the stuff from the comic books that they could make work on the silver screen, and they put it in there. They took all the stuff from the previous movies that worked and put it in this, and the stuff that didn't work in the previous movies, they took out. Or the stuff mm-hmm. that maybe didn't get the right reaction in the previous movies, they still did, but kind of leaned back, lean, lean back a little bit on. Like, you know, you, I think, were one of them, along with many other people, felt Thor Ragnarok was too jokey. In the wrong spots. I okay. don't mind jokey, but in the wrong spots. There's still jokes in this movie, but they brought them back a little bit. Or they use them like, I don't mind uh, Black Panther joking with his sister, you know, while there's no bat like battle or you know someone's dying. Right. It's it or any of anybody else. It works when it's the downtime. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that that's but they the way to put their it. spots a little bit better with it. Uh, a lot of people, myself included, thought the CGI rhinos in the Black Panther battle were a little wonky. Mm-hmm. So here's another battle on Wakanda. No CGI rhinos. See, that was one of my two nitpicks, was there was no vibrinos. Three <laughs> nitpicks. There was no vibrinos. Black Widow's hair was blonde for no apparent reason. Right. And there was no ACDC song. That's it. That's my three. <laughs> oh, okay, so where does this movie fall on the... Okay, well, before we get into that, mm-hmm. my opinion... Best character in the movie was Thor. Thor, they did a lot more with than everything they've done in the last three movies with and him. all the stuff that he did was great. Mm-hmm. You know, the jokey stuff where he says that he took Groot language as an elective in school, mm-hmm. so he understands Groot. Uh, the fact of him willing to sacrifice himself to restart, to keep the thing open so they could restart the forge. And I said this, and this is the nerd that both myself and my wife are. Mm-hmm. when uh, they go to, and again, I forget whatever the name of the character that Peter Dinklage made, and he says, you know, oh, Thanos forced us to make the, the gauntlet for him, and then he killed everyone, and he took my hands away, and all this other jazz. He goes, but I have the plans for one more hammer, you know, and, it's, and he builds up the whole hammer and everything else like this, and Rocket says, 
and what's this hammer called? Both me and my wife look at each other, and we both say at the same exact time that Dinklage says it, Stormbreaker. And the two of us marked out. I think we're the only ones in the theater that marked out for it. Even though that's not the hammer that Thor uses, we knew it was going to be Thor, the Stormbreaker, because that's what it had to be. And then when Thor shows up with the Stormbreaker, kicks butt on all the Chitauri and, uh, you know, the, the Sons of Thanos and all that sort of thing, Thor had the most best moments in the film. Mm-hmm. And you are not going to be, and he hasn't seen it yet. You are not the biggest mark for the Stormbreaker. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the summer you. Oh, he is a Beta Ray Bill guy out the wazoo. So I'm hoping at some point we get Beta Ray Bill. So he's not he's not going to be upset that the wrong person has that hammer, is he? Ah, uh, he probably will because. Uh, he's, he's tough. Like he's of the mind that like you hear them talking like with black Panther or Avengers movie come out. Like these are the best of the best of the best. And he's just like, just dial it back till I see the movie. Everybody, you know what I mean? Like he's, he's getting, he's one of them that's getting burnt out. I feel. Oh, and I'm just like, just why pay so much attention then? Like, let it go. Like, just forget it and go see a movie. I think he'll love it when he does see it, though. So, um, one last thing before we kind of get into the rating on things and where things are going forward, of course. Um, the post-credit sequence. Mm-hmm. As all the people are turning to ash and to dust and everything else like that, and of course, we get Nick Fury and we get Maria Hill, and I feel bad because whenever I see Col- Kobe smolders and things... Mm-hmm. Because I don't watch the Agents of Shield TV show, I forget that she's Maria Hill, and my mind immediately goes to her being Robin Sparkles from How I Met Your Mother. Mm. Right. So they both dissipate, right? But before Nick Fury does, he sends his uh, his page out on his old school giant pager. That's right, because the movie's going to take place in the nineties. Right, and all we see is that logo show up, right? Right. Now, obviously, if if you were Todd and myself and people of our ilk listening to the show, then you know what that logo is. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what that logo is, and then you go see any of the promotional materials, the trailer, or anything else like that for Captain Marvel coming out, you now know she's immediately over. Mm-hmm. That, her being on the pager at the end of the post credit sequence as everyone's dissipating is essentially... Her debuting out of a box in the right. of professional wrestling. She's immediately over. Or on a pedestal, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> on a pedestal, sure. Um, or something high, anything in wrestling. So. Right. Uh, but I think that was a nice way to kind of bridge the end of this into one of the next two movies that we have coming out in between Infinity War here and Part 2, of course. Right, which is Ant-Man, Wasp, and the Captain Marvel movie. Yeah. Um, now, on the Captain Marvel thing, I just, like I said, I like that it's the uh, the pager, and it looks like it's the 90, because like, that's where the movie's going to take place. But I had a feeling that it was going to be Captain Marvel, because that was, like, one of the next movies. But, man, was there a part of me sitting there, Joe, going, be a four on there, be a four on there, be a four on there, be a four on there. That's, well, I was like, right, what? We'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Where do you put this movie on the pantheon of thing? Like, we're not going to sit here and put the movies in order. Right. Oh, it's up there. It has to be. Okay, I'm going to go out on, on a limb and say this is my. And now, granted, you have to watch all the movies to get to get it. 
but this is my second favorite of the Avengers movies or of the the the, the Marvel movies. Winter Soldier Mar- still number one. There's something about the personal stake of Winter Soldier, the espionage part of it, and then ta- like making it big, taking down Hydra for the helicarriers. Like that has everything. If if you know what I mean, like a simple, easy to digest plot, but also a big threat. But the difference of him, you know, the going finding out the Bucky's the Winter Soldier. I think there's nothing, there's nothing out of place in that movie. Nothing. I'm with you. Winter Soldier still number one. After that, these next four you can kind of mix up in any order for me, and I. Mm-hmm. It depends on the day. It depends on how I'm feeling. You got this. You got Homecoming. You got Guardians 2. And then, what's the other one off the top of my head I can't even think of right now? Oh, Ragnarok. Because I really like Ragnarok. I know you didn't like it as much as I did. But I think that is my top five. Winter Soldier's still number one. You want to make an argument for this being number two? You want to make an argument for Homecoming being number two? You want to make an argument for Guardians 2 being number two? Yeah, Ragnarok's oh. okay at number five, kind of holding the fourth there. Okay. Those, those middle three for me, you can mix up on any day, and I'm I'm good. So she right out of the gate, you have to get rid of Spider-Man: Homecoming for me. Okay. That's so far down the list for me, so far. Like I, I walking out of Spider-Man: Homecoming, but I also know that you're a Spider-Man like right. fan. When I walked out, I was like, "Yep, I saw a movie." Ugh. Just because what I hated. Countered what I loved, mm-hmm. and it was like I hated the whole like AI suit. I hated Ned, um, but I loved other things. So I'm not going to go down that road. Out of the two, I like Guardians of the Galaxy one better. Um, I think it's a streamlined movie. I I think Guardians of the Galaxy two is too long. I think they pile it on to like where it's like, hey, you love this? Here's more of that. And I get it. That's what people want. But I think the first movie fits better. And I think they just swipe things from the first movie. And it's like re-seeing whole scenes, but uh, it's not a terrible movie, but I want to throw up uh, civil war as one of my favorites because of the fact that's the one that feels like most like a Marvel comic to me where it's the, I don't know what it is about it. Just the, 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 the battle at the, at, at the airport and all the, I don't know this when I watched it, Civil War, I was just like, that's a Marvel comic on the screen compared to everything else. Mm-hmm. But, so, like, and then so I, I ha- think this one felt the most like a Marvel comic on the big screen. It's up there. And then Iron Man number one is by far to me a, a forgotten, underappreciated movie. That movie's perfect. But because it's just Iron Man and everything that's come from it, like that movie, story, plot, pacing is one of the best Marvel movies out there. Again, I can't disagree with that. It'd probably be like number six. It's up there, you know? Right. Um, so, anyway. Speculation about where we go from here. Um, I don't know a lot of it, but I know there's... I, I honestly think that at some point someone's going to get a hold of the infinity gauntlet off of Thanos. Mm -hmm. And, and I kind of have an idea who, if you read infinity gauntlet, I have a good feeling and they're going to set things back a little bit. Right. And, uh, we're going to bring a lot of 
the characters back, all except for Gamora, I think. Okay. Because I, I think Gamora's in the Soul Gem. Now, right, so here's my thought there. Gamora's in the Soul Gem. Thanos uses the Time Gem to go back to save Gamora. Go back to that point, take her out, and bring her to the current time. And okay. that's what's going to be Thanos' downfall. Hmm. Interesting. So again, I feel as though Thanos needs to be the uh, the engine of his own undoing by using the Soul Gem or the Time Gem or one of those gems in some way. Like he's going to use the Reality Gem to recreate Gamora, and that's not going to work. Or he's going to use the Power Gem because she was the most dangerous woman in the, in the universe, and that's not going to work. He's going to go through each of the individual gems to try to bring her back, and by doing one of those, it's going to be his undoing. And you're right on the time gem, Joe. Okay. Because that, in my opinion, if that's the way they go, because when Doctor Strange sees all the 14 million things, yes, he's like, there's one way to do this, and that I have to give him this gem, because it will be his undoing. He will go back and change something. Right. And that's going to be our shot. Now, the other thing with that is... I think in the next movie is where you get your Fantastic Four come in. Whether it be oh, in the third act, whether it be the post-credit sequence, you are getting the Fantastic Four in Infinity War 2 in some way, shape, or form. Okay. All the hair on my body is standing up right now. Okay. And if you did that, that's great. But for me, is if you get Doom holding, like crumpling up a four in any way... <laughs> oh boy, Joe! Everybody, stand back. That's all I'm gonna say. Right? Like, you know, what do you want? Do you need someone who maybe has time travel capabilities? Well, we've, you know, we've never had to rely on this person. But let's go contact Reed Richards. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's got something kicking around, or maybe with whatever Thanos does with the time gem. And again, time stones—I still call them gems. You know, I'm what I mean? with you. I will. I will I will be a gem guy for the rest of my life. Right. Just like the World Wrestling Entertainment is the WWF for me for the rest of my life, they're gems for the rest of my life. I don't care. You can call them stones as much as you want. And maybe we'll get those gems slash stones with a comic for the next movie. Maybe. Like we were supposed to get them with Infinity, and then we were supposed to get those standees of all the characters and everything no, else we that were we were promised that we never got, Todd. That's right. We were supposed to get them with Secret War. Ah. Oh. I knew we were supposed to get them with something. That's right. So, or, or, or maybe uh, Thanos is the end-all, be-all ruler of everything, and maybe some other giant threat comes along that even is too big for the Infinity Gauntlet. I don't know, say Galactus. So now Thanos has to undo what he did, because he alone cannot take down Galactus. He sees the error of his ways and brings all these people back to life. Mm -hmm. There's a million different ways in my mind. Like, just off the top of my head, there's three. You don't even if you just want to do it as a cheesy uh, post-credit thing. There's four different ways that you could bring the Fantastic Four into the next set of movies, and they have to, because I don't think you want to rush in with the X Men just yet. No, but I do think the Inhumans are going away, Joe. You you do, Todd? Yes. You you, you don't think that they're going to be the ones that save the day? 
I'm oh. surprised there were no Inhumans. I'm surprised Black Bolt mm-hmm. wasn't in this. And and uh, Medusa with her fancy wig work. Oh. Todd, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> you know how the first like two minutes of this movie was Thanos kicking the snot out of the Hulk? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if the first two minutes of the next movie isn't Thanos picking his teeth with the remnants of the Inhumans. In humans, no more. Oh. Snap. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it's and it's one of those things where I walked out of that movie and I wanted to see the next movie right that very second. If you happen to go uh, near your super secret science job and they have one of those uh, $8 infinity cups, I want one. Okay. Because I wanted one the night they showed the movie, but I got there and the concession line was like a million people deep. And now, granted, because they have the, the assigned seating, I didn't have to get there at. Right. You can you just know, kind of stroll in whenever you want. Right. So it was like 10 minutes to the movie. And I'm like, I am not waiting in that line. And when I came out, um, I don't know if you've been to cinema. The, it, there was so much going on at Cinemark that night, Joe. Have you been to Cinemark for a movie in a while? Probably with me for Deadpool was the last time. No, I went to go see the um, Despicable Me movie. Okay. And I fell asleep two minutes into the, 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 the screening. It was so big, everything that was going on. You know how they have those? They have the main uh, uh, where they give the concessions, that they have the concession stands that when you go left or right that they're that are never open? Yes. They were open for Oh, my goodness. Which, like, blew my mind. But when I came out, I was like, oh, well, everything's open. Like, I could go over here or over there before I get in my truck and go home. And I asked, and they're like, they're all gone for tonight. So I was like, because I just would have bought a cup. I was like, don't even fill it with anything. I'll take it home, you know? Just pour it in my hand. I'll take the cup home. That's right. Pour it in my pocket. Uh, But, yeah, movie was great, and I can't wait to see it again and or the next movie to come out already. Right. Anything else? We've talked about a lot of stuff here today, Todd. I don't know. I think that might be enough to tell you the truth. All right. So, again, for uh, Todd, this is Joe for real, closing out episode 396 of Longbox Heroes, and we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Boo!